So the culture of this industry is a culture in which, number one, don't make mistakes, and number two and three also. Nobody wants to have mistakes, but you have to accept that they happen. You cannot have innovation if you don't want to have mistakes. Welcome to the BID miniseries, The Real Leaders of Net Zero, where we talk with CEOs about what they and their companies are doing to move the world to net zero. I'm your host, Mark Weidman. I'm super excited about our guest for this episode, Francesco Storace, the CEO of Enel, an Italian-based gas and electricity utility that operates in more than 40 countries around the world. Francesco's been with the company for over 20 years and has been an integral leader of the company's ambitious net zero plans, from creating the Enel Green Power Group back in 2008 to just last year, when the company announced it was accelerating its net zero commitment by 10 years from 2050 to 2040. Why and how is Enel doing it? We'll talk about the transformation of the clean energy market. We'll talk about renewables and about the role of technology and innovation and failure in the net zero transition. Francesco, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Francesca, let's start by telling us about Enel. Enel was born right after the Second World War in the 60s, when, like most governments in Europe, the Italian government realized that they had to nationalize what private companies existed in the electricity space in order for electricity to be brought to parts of the country that didn't have it. And so... It was born as a nationalization of more than a thousand large, medium, and small private companies that existed at that time. And the mission was to basically electrify Italy throughout. So not just the cities or the, the places where people would live, but everywhere. So this is what happened more or less in all European countries right after the war. Now we are no more just an Italian company. We're a global company. But... It happened in different phases as a function of the evolution of this sector in Europe, which took place between, say, beginning of the 60s until the end of the 90s. That's where most of the privatization took place. That's where we are today. It's a large company. It's a multinational. We are the largest distribution network system privately owned around the world in 30 countries, Italy included, of course. But <laughs> I don't think that was in the idea when it was for, but it happened. <laughs> Can you talk about the evolution from a heavy fossil fuels organization to one that is leaning into a green energy generation platform? The funny thing is that when Enel was formed, it was mostly a hydroelectric company. So most of that energy was generated by hydro plants. Then during the 60s, oil was mostly used. After the first oil shock in the 70s, Enel, like many other European companies, started a nuclear program to use less oil. And that was canceled after the Chernobyl accident. And then at that time, Enel moved into coal and gas. And as things unfolded during the privatization of the energy sector that took place, like I said, around the 90s in Europe, following the Europe directive that covered the sector, Enel started investing in 
gas and then started developing renewables. Around 2008, 2007, they were completely a niche technology. But Enel created Enel Green Power at that time, where all the renewable energy plants we had were put together. Nobody knows, but the USA was the first acquisition that Enel made outside of Italy. And this was the beginning of a new Enel that gave us the major impulse of really decarbonizing our energy mix between 2008 and 2009, just when the Lehman Brothers crisis was up. The transition started in 07-08 in terms of shifting towards renewables. What triggered that transition? Was it economic, regulatory, technological? And it needed to reduce the debt. So and it created this company and said, we'll put it in, into the market and need the proceeds to cut down debt. This debt was accumulated because a little bit earlier, we had acquired Endesa, which was a big Spanish company, a few months before the Lehman crash. Then we had, in Green Power, I was put in charge of it, we had the vision that this business was going to become very competitive. At that time, it was a very protected and subsidized niche. We said this cannot go on for a long time, but there are reasons why we thought that these technologies would take over thermal generation. And you might remember at that time, this was called alternative energy sources. And we also said alternative to what? Basically, they would become mainstream. So the vision we had was that this was going to become a very wide open battlefield of competitiveness, driving the industrial evolution of these technologies, and that proved to be right. At the beginning, it was very difficult because people didn't understand. Even the market didn't understand. People saying, you must be stupid. Why don't you just follow the money? Why don't you just forget this dream of competitiveness? But that actually happened. So you were triggered by the Lehman crisis to actually set up Enel Green. Yeah. What were the underlying economic and technology drivers that made that effort work as opposed to doing it 10 years before? I think it was the fact that technology had improved and that the cost of generation with renewable energy was going down faster than people thought. Two forces were doing that. One was the digital thing and the improvement in material science. So things that make things, materials with which things are made, kept improving and are still improving a lot. And also I would say the industry had at a certain point reached. It became, in a few years, a large industry, and that drove costs down. Digitization, material science advancements. And dimension. And scale. So what is digitization? What does that mean in terms of the efficiency of generating electricity? For the improvement of technology, computing power became large enough to simulate the behavior of machines in a better way so that designers had ways to improve without having to go through cycles of trial and error, but just do it. Also, digitization is a large force behind improvement in material science for exactly the same reasons. Simulations can take place, and that drove the whole thing down. Where will you be at the end of the decade? We have a path that says we're going to be zero in 2040. What's the biggest obstacle in getting there? The speed at which you can convince regulators that you can close thermal power plants. The grid operators and the grid managers always feel that the moment of detaching the existing power plants is a little bit risky. There is always a relative pushback. 
for the integrity of the network, for supply service uh, concerns. It's not the money, it's not the projects, it's permitting, but this will eventually be something that in retrospect, people would say, why didn't we do this before? We knew this was going to happen and we lost a little bit of time. Can you talk about the cluster of issues around stability of the grid, storage of when renewables are not able to function, and the technologies you see as bringing those together? Say that every time we flip a switch in our home, our factory, our offices, we introduce a micro disturbance in the perfect equilibrium that electricity production consumption has to have every time. So... The system is self-balancing most of the time, provided that things happen with some tolerance. So networks are designed to cope with this kind of turbulences all the time. These are networks that were built when the power was supplied by very large power plants and then moved out into millions and millions of homes. But as you decarbonize, generation becomes much more fragmented. So all we need to do is make sure that in between the flexibility of the network is kept balanced. Technology today helps. You have a lot more contraptions you can use to do that. Who knows how networks will behave when electric cars will be millions and not a few thousands, when heat pumps will be millions and not a few thousands. And how can these networks be changed in order for this to happen safely? And the answer again is digitalization. So you have to digitize the networks so that they go in two directions, not just in one, not just from the generation to the consumer, but from the consumer back or to a consumer to another consumer. And this is, again, another benefit of the digital transformation of the sector that enables flexibility with limited costs and much more security of supply. Is that what we call a smart grid? That's a smart grid, yeah. Smart grid is a grid that uses intelligence and automation to move electrons in different directions according to the need in the more sufficient way. Let's talk about innovation and your approach to innovation, which is about disciplined vision is the way I look at it. How do you combine short-term results with radical reinvention? You have to accept mistakes. You cannot have innovation if you don't want to have mistakes. Nobody wants to have mistakes, but you have to accept that they happen. This industry is all about not making mistakes because mistakes we make invariably result in huge problems. So the culture of this industry is a culture in which, number one, don't make mistakes, and number two and three also. What you want to do is, first of all, debunk a little bit this no-make-mistake story and let people feel free about making some mistakes provided they don't keep repeating them. And then... Don't try to innovate if you cannot in this climate, but rather come with problems that you want somebody else to solve. And we created these innovation hubs outside of NL. We have now 13 around the world where we bring problems for smart people to go out and try and solve. And then what happened is that when you see that out of five ideas, four are useless and one works, then suddenly our people also understood that it is fair. Even the smart people make a lot of mistakes. There's lots of rubbish there too. So they started coming with their own ideas and we found that we had innovation in the company. Only it was scared and feeling that they didn't want to look bad. How long do you give a new technology or experiment 
before you decide it's a failure? In this field, if you try hard a technology that doesn't show a good sign of improvement in three years, four, take costs, they should go down 50% in the first three years. If they don't do that, maybe it's time to give up. There's no shame in that. There's an amount of time that you should be able to see some decisive moves. If you don't see a good start in three years, maybe it's time to really take a hard look at it and say, maybe not. Carbon capture, buyer or seller? Not in this industry. We tried for much longer than three years. We tried for 15 years. The whole industry tried hard. You don't need to decarbonize when you decarbonize at the root. What is success for hydrogen? Could work. We are in the three-year time. So we are the first of the three years. It's early to call, but call me in a year and a half, can work. Theoretically, there's a chance. It's cost parity of green hydrogen with present hydrogen production. So it means you have to have a hydrolyzer whose cost should go down a factor of six. Okay, so just to unpack what you're saying, green hydrogen, which is the manufacturing from renewable sources of hydrogen, which you can burn at a later time, you're saying success is in two years that the cost is down 87% versus today. Basically sixfold, yes. Do you think that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is an accelerant or a retardant of decarbonization of the economy in Europe? Definitely an acceleration. Although in the short term, it's probably going to produce more CO2 because of the coal substitute. But that's just a blip. If you were starting a totally new company, Francesco's startup, where would you focus regarding the broad transition to a low-carbon economy? Right now, I think on storage. Because the storage we're using today is a byproduct of the storage that cars are using. So it's a compromise between the performance as a storage and the weight of it, because you have to move it around. But it's not the best performing technology. I think that's a very hot moment for that stuff. So our startup, because it's going to be both of us, is going to be about batteries that don't move. Right. Effectively getting away from lithium-ion technologies. Perhaps, yeah, or finding something else. But definitely forget about the weight of the battery and focus on the performance and the cost. One last question about technology and your business. You are repurposing your gas and coal plants. What are you doing? In most cases, there is nothing else than just convert this site to another industrial or non-industrial use. There's no generation of electricity worth mentioning. So what we did is we said, dear mayor of the city nearby, this site is no future, so we're going to shut down. Now, why don't we just create a small committee and all together invite entrepreneurs, architects, whoever wants to come with an idea to what to do with this site, and all together we choose what we like. And our job is to clean up. Of course, we get the stuff out of the site and leave it to you. And it's surprising how many ideas come up. You find all kinds of things. Tourist villages, extreme sports centers, commercial centers, museums. There's plenty of stuff that you can do. So perhaps our battery startup could have a subsidiary in converting power plants into laser tag facilities. Why not? There's plenty of stuff you can do. Can you talk about what you've learned about leading people, your organization, including stakeholders outside the organization, through this transition to a much lower carbon footprint business? Well, I think leading people requires clarity on what we want to do. If you 
say, follow me, that's not enough. <laughs> you have to tell the people, look, we would like to do this. This is the reason why we are here. Our purpose is this one. And to that end, we think we should do this and that. Typically, most of the effort is to be clear to what we want to achieve together, make it understandable to you first, and then if you understand it, then it's easy to transmit. In Enel, years ago, we asked the people what they thought were the basic values of Enel. It was pretty easy. They were pretty aligned, so it's not that difficult. By the way, when you communicate outside, you should communicate exactly in the same way. You cannot have a communication with your people and a totally different one outside. It has to be coherent. In the digital age of social media, one story for all stakeholders. You can't have multiple voices. Exactly. You cannot have internal, external, transversals, north-south. It's impossible. When you look at the landscape of other parallel industries that are going through a similar transformation, everything from automobiles to shipping to construction, generally... Do you favor the attackers or the incumbents? It depends on the incumbents. I mean, it's funny, but the incumbents have an upper hand, only they don't know. Because the attackers are successful insofar they are sleepy. But if the incumbents behave in the right way, it's very tough for an attacker. Actually, it's almost impossible. So it actually depends on the incumbent. How quickly he frees himself from the legacy. It's all about how you want to get rid of the legacy that ties you to your past, the fastest you do it, the more difficult for an attacker is. So incumbents, wake up, come out of your enchantments, and the future is yours. Yeah, they have a huge chance. Let's talk about the future. If you could redo from a white sheet of paper the world's energy system right now, what would it look like? Much more interconnected, much more dispersed, and the proximity between consumption and production should be much bigger than today. How would you price in that world? I think it would be probably on a fixed price, regardless of consumption. So effectively high fixed capital costs, but very low marginal costs, like data for your cell phone plan. Yeah, like your phones. There was a time ago where I remember my mother said you Cut it, cut it, cut it, because you were paying by the minutes, but it's gone. It would be flat. Last question. What do you think, Francesco, is the single most important thing that needs to happen to get the world to net zero? It's one thing that will happen in two steps. The first step is take the word net away and focus on zero, because only that drives innovation deep enough. If you put the net word before, you never get there because net is an illusion. But if you start with the net, it cuts the innovation by a factor of 10 at least. So to get to real zero, what's the number one thing that has to happen? We have to focus on innovation. Innovation will get us there. It's really the key to that. Innovation in technology, business models, what are we talking about? Innovation in both technology and business models because they go hand in hand. Typically, technology brings about business models, radical innovation. So you have to be open to both. They sustain each other in a big way. If you look closely, this climate is a unifying force like no other. In the history of mankind, there's never been a planetary problem that everyone recognized more or less. So 
it's a huge opportunity. It's a strong effort that everyone sees as doing something for himself, not just for some distant planet somewhere. That force can be used, provided you free innovation and you innovate business models. Francesco, by the end of the decade, you'll be 90% down in carbon emissions relative to most electricity producers. Looking forward to talking to you again then. And thanks again for joining us here on The Bid. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. I loved it. Take care, Francesco. Thank you. Take care. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, solicitation to buy or sell any securities, or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the reader. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. BlackRock does and may seek to do business with companies covered in this podcast. As a result, listeners should be aware that the firm may have a conflict of interest that could affect the objectivity of this podcast. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the UK and non-European economic area, EEA countries, this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management, UK Limited, authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, registered office, 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N2DL, telephone, plus 440207743300, registered in England and Wales, number 02020394. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. Please refer to the Financial Conduct Authority website for a list of authorized activities conducted by BlackRock. In the European economic area, this is issued by BlackRock Netherlands, BV, is authorized and regulated by the Netherlands Authority for the Financial Markets. Registered office, Amstelplein 11096, HA, Amsterdam. Telephone 020-549-5200. Telephone 3120-549-5200. Trade registered number 17068311. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. For investors in Switzerland, this document is marketing material. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited, company registration number 20001043N. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities or Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited, ABN 13006165975 AFSL23523 BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. Before making any investment decision, you should assess whether the material is appropriate for you and obtain financial advice tailored to you having regard to your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, and circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund, nor shall any such shares be offered or sold to any person in any jurisdiction in which an offer, solicitation, purchase, or sale would be unlawful under the securities law of that jurisdiction. If any funds are mentioned or inferred to in this material, it is possible that some or all of the funds may not have been registered with the securities regulator of Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, Panama, Peru, Uruguay, or any securities regulator in any Latin American country and thus may not be publicly offered within any such country. The securities regulators of such countries have not confirmed the accuracy of any information contained here and the provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the investment services guide available at www.blackrock.com forward slash MX. Copyright 2022, BlackRock Incorporated. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Incorporated. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.